<laughs> I want you. Okay, hold on. I want you to imagine you've opened your fortune cookie. Fill your cake sand with art, house with dirt, and your birthday cards with hair. There. Know the system you're messing with before you mess with it. Know the system you're messing with before you. Yes. That's it. Check. Done. That was the fastest one yet. So we're just going to open our fortune cookie, and it is a badly drawn penis, hedgehog, and box. I like that we have a high concept fortune cookie. You should go listen to that song and play Frogger. There's your fortune cookie. There it is. Like, as soon as you said it, I was like, oh, no, that's it, that's it, that's it. And I was like, connecting the, yeah. Welcome. What is Angreement, Michelle? Angreement is our podcast, Catherine. And what do we do there? (laughs) We talk to each other. We do a lot of stuff. We do cool stuff. No, we do each fortnight. We bring you, the listener, and us, the creator, listeners, three things. Um, A weird thing. And a pop culture thing. And a research thing. And then we lovingly and with care and attention of varying degrees blend them together. We call it our fortune cookie. And then we so, hope that you'll use it to guide every, the next five as, minutes as or the said, rest of your life or somewhere in between. No, no as we've previously said, every aspect of your life for every, the next two weeks. Every aspect of your life for the next two weeks. Sorry. I forgot my Michelle, own. Michelle's a little. You're a little. A little too lenient there, I say. Every aspect of your life for the next two weeks, there, there you have it. Has to be governed by whatever bullshit. What we, should you have for lunch? It's not bullshit. We put a, a lot, lot of. The, yeah, we actually do put a lot of thought. They don't always make sense, but that's usually because we don't want to lose any of the nuance. And nuance is hard to exactly. get into a fortune cookie. So. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So. Okay. This is episode fifty-eight. We 58? are trucking. We're trucking along. We're going to hit 100. I know we are. Um, so you go first. I go first. <laughs> I said I was in an upbeat mood and my weird thing is not. <laughs> but I'm going to tell it anyway. I have to make sure that I can't be overheard. Okay. So my weird thing is, yeah, yeah, my weird thing is, is that it is, there's snow on the ground here at my house. Um, we got like three inches of it in under two hours. It was, it was a lot of snow for such a short amount of time. And it's still on the ground, despite the fact that it was like 55 degrees yesterday and it was like 55 degrees today. So um, today was a work day for me. And as most of you probably know, I work from home and I homeschool. So my son has a nanny who is with him on days when I'm working. 
And so they went out and built a snowman in the shady part of the school across the street from me um, in like 50 degree weather. How cool, right? You get to like, it's not freezing cold, but you still get to build a snowman, right? And he was so proud of himself. And he came in and he was like, that's the first snowman I ever built. And it made me really sad because I'm like, no, it isn't. (laughs) But he has no memories. Like he's seven and we haven't gotten a decent snow in like four years. And so the last time he built a snowman, he he is pre-memory for him, right? So like I definitely have built snowmen with my children, but he... Like we just haven't gotten snow, and that was it's unheard of. Like when I, when we were kids, like we would get oh yeah multiple snows where you could build snowmen, and just we just haven't. And this one only lasted like the snow was only on the ground like twenty four hours. Um, so he he was very excited, and we were leaving to go to take him to um his climbing class, and. He was like, oh, did you see my snowman? It's so big. You can see it over the car. And like, I, because and he's like, but it's not, it's not taller than the car. It's because of the hill. So he's explaining to me physics is very cute. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and I was like, oh yeah, buddy, you did such a great job. And it was just, just a cute snowman with some stick arms. And I was like, oh, that's, that's cute. And I don't, something about it just made me kind of sad that he had no memory of me having made a snowman with him. Well, it's and so, so weird. It's like in a way. Without you realizing it, you missed a first, a first for him yeah. without missing a first. And you, so you have all the feelings of, I missed his first thing without any of the expectation that that would happen. So it just right. hates you You're out of like, nowhere. Well, it should be happening with your seven-year-old at this point. And then I drop him off at climbing, come back to my house. I was like, oh, I'm just driving down. It's a pretty sunny day. I'm in a good mood. I see these two, probably 14, 15 year olds, uh, like taking taking selfies together in front of the, the lower part of the school as I'm coming up the same place where the snowman is, but a little further down. And I'm like, oh, aren't they having a nice day? And then I think to myself, like, oh, I'm going to go grab a picture of that snowman so that he has it um, since this was important to him. And as I pull up, I see that it has been toppled and clearly it has not just melted. Like, I don't know for sure that those two teenage girls did it, but I am almost certain that they did. Like there were definitely footprints around it. And like, they were, they were just like, I don't know. They were just kind of like acting super cool, you know? And I feel like kicking down a snowman would have been the type of thing you would do to act super cool. Um, (gasps) That age, you're such an idiot at that age. You're such a cruel idiot. Because, yeah, you're right. That That's something you'd be like, oh, huh, huh. and it's it's mean. And I just burst into tears. I was not ready for it. I was like, oh, my God, I'm just sobbing. <laughs> well, of course you did. How many things is... I, I My kid too. lives in a world where global warming is so bad. He hasn't had snow in four years. I've missed his first snowman without actually missing his first snowman. And now these teenagers have come and toppled it over. It was just a bit too much for me. <laughs> so, like, and is like, there an extra layer about your other child getting towards that teenage dumb? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> One childhood being yeah, plumbled yes. by another it was a lot it was a lot and I was taking a walk with my friend and I was like just fair warning I'm sobbing so I'll be there soon (laughs) 
she was like, are you okay? I'm like, yes, I'm fine. <laughs> like, fine. And like, I almost said something emotions. to them. Like, it's almost like, Hey, did you happen to see what happened? And my <laughs> but I was like, you know what? I'm not mad at them. I've been, I've been 15 and wanted to kick something, you know? And like, yeah, that's the better, hell of like, it. Right. right? That it's like, it's so jerky, but there's like a, there's a small window of your life where like your, your brain is not formed. Everything is weird. You hate your body. I don't know. It makes sense. I think from 13 to 16, you can get away with that. And and there's, here's the symbol of like some little kid got to have fun and your, your childhood is over and you're being thrust into this adulthood, but nobody's letting you be an adult. Like. I'm not, I'm not blaming them. They, you you know, know what? What you're describing is basically what the entire book Little Women is about. So no wonder you were emotionally moved. That's like a great, great work of literature you experienced in one afternoon. Accidentally, with absolutely no intention of experiencing There's anything other so than many Which we love here. <laughs> right. <sighs> yes. So yes, and that then, is yeah, my the added layer of snowmen. It's always a lot. Oh, huh? I choked up just to like be transparent, like big emotions. I, I got really, you know what it is. I'm not going to put it on the podcast, but I got very good news this morning. And because of just a string of things that have been happening in my life, I just can't process it as good. And I just keep getting overwhelmed and I've been tearing up today. So it's a lot. So we're in very good moods. Listen to us cry at you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, (laughs) I just am going to laugh and start crying at some point. It's going to tip over. Uh, so, yeah. Um, well, I really like my weird thing today. So, and it has to do with uh, St. Louis and your neck of the woods. It is about the city museum. Hey, city and museum. I'm sure 99.9% of our listeners know what the city museum is. But in case you don't know what the City Museum is, it is a magical place. It's probably one of the best places in the whole entire world. In the world. And if you think city, I always love talking to people about it because I think we've mentioned this before. When you say City Museum, they're like, yeah, I we also have a City yes. Museum. But the City Museum isn't really a museum so much as it is a giant kind of playground, art space, sculptural heaven of weirdness that's just amazing how would you describe the city museum quickly like a giant playscape made out of found architecture yeah that's much better thank you <laughs> um I yeah. and it's just it. you yeah and we've been going to it since we were little and like i remember getting to take your kids there which was amazing taking my niece and nephew there for the first time. I love it. Do you, so we know we're lifelong goers of the city museum. We're lifelong fans. You know about Bob Casilli. Bob Casilli is the man who kind of started it. It was his idea. He and his wife began it together. Um, But do you know some of the details about how before he started the city museum, early in his life, Bob Casilli's life, do you know how he got some of his initial money that ended up helping him start the city museum? No. I mean, I know he did sculptures. So like he did the the snake sculptures that are on the other side of the St. Louis or the turtle sculptures that are on this other side of the St. Louis Zoo and the snake sculpture sculptures that like go along the highway. Um, I know he did sculptures like out in some of the county parks have some of his his works as well. 
So I just assumed that he was a sculptor, but it seems like you've got a scoop that's more interesting. So it's, it's wild. It's completely, it's, I I researched the heck out of this because I'm like, this seems so made up. It's so too, it's too good to be true. But like, isn't the city museum as an institution also too good to be true? It's true. Yeah. Um, so, and I did find a news article with a photo of the event actually happening. So I will put that in the show notes because it's amazing. Um, so yeah, he was a fairly successful sculpture and public sculptor, and there are his sculptures around St. Louis. So the way he got some of his startup money, so he had the space to like really pursue sculpting, was I don't even know where to begin with this story. And I can't believe I didn't know it because I know about the city museum and Bob Casilli, and I know about this story, but I didn't know they intersected. And it makes me thrilled. So without further ado, I found a news article about Bob Casilli, and it was called, here's the headline, Honeymoon Highlight, Punch for Pieta. Now, Michelle, have you heard of a man named Laszlo Ta? No. I think not everyone has. I am an art historian, so I'm very aware of who Laszlo Toth is. Laszlo Toth is a man who attacked Michelangelo's Pieta with a hammer. And the Pieta has been attacked several times. Someone tried to shoot at it. Now I'm going to read you this article. Laszlo Toth was the first man since Michelangelo to swing a hammer on the Pieta. And Robert Casilli was one of the first witnesses of the act to take a swing at Toth. It was quite a scene in St. Peter's last May 21st, and Mr. and Mrs. Casilli understandably regarded as the most exciting part of their honeymoon. Casilli recalls landing at least one punch on Toth before a flying wedge of guards rushed the van, rushed the vandal out of the angry reach. Casilli is an athletic Webster Groves young man who expects to make his living as a sculptor. Last spring, he became the first male graduate of Fompon College, where he went to study with Rudolf Torini. He does not look like a sculptor, but then his bride does not look like a bronze founder, which she is. So that's part of this article. Um, Laszlo Toth swung a hammer at the Pieta in St. Peter's. And Bob Casilli was there and he punched him in the face and held him down and stopped him from destroying it further until guards came and took him away. And then the Pope, in order to thank him, gave him a bunch of money. That is so, how do I not know this story? I know, right? It's wild. It's so wild. It just... I have no words. It's, that- it makes me so delighted. So yeah, basically um, he was on his honeymoon. He was a sculptor. His wife was a bronze founder um, and they went to Italy to look at art for their honeymoon. They were at the Pieta the exact same time it was vandalized and they punched him in the face. Wow, that is amazing. And also like, I don't know, doesn't that just feel... Like you were saying, like, this can't be true. Like, it just makes, I don't know, it's like a simulation. And yet it feels so right. It feels so right that, like, that's where the city museum, like, what a great thing then. Like, you saved, like, wow, you saved the Pieta and then you took that money and just made something that has filled so many people's lives with so much joy. And so much (sighs) art and so much appreciation for things that are overlooked. Um, Yeah. 
it's it's if you start to feel hopeless that like one person can't make a difference which i think i you know with with like elections coming up and things i sometimes feel like that which is very pessimistic i know but man this story really made me go you know you one can person can't make world. a difference as long as it's punching someone with a hammer in the face and the pope gives you money if you if the pope gives you money you can make, you a, can difference make a difference in the world if you got some of that sweet sweet vatican cash coaching <laughs> So just let that be. Like, oh, maybe. No, I wouldn't want my friend to get arrested. I'm like, maybe we should stage something where like you and I go to the Pieta and one of us can attack it. One of us can stop the other person. What are we going to draw? See who gets the short straw and who has oh, to. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you have, you know what? I'll attack it. You have children. You have a whole life. Um. <laughs> I don't know. I'm an art historian. I feel like maybe I can make some argument and get a yeah, jail. Yeah, they already can't put you in prison kinda... that long, right? And I'll just, yeah. I'll, I'll invest the money wisely so that it'll grow yeah. and once you come out. that's That <laughs> money will be what we use to buy the uh, surf mall at the Ocean City Boardwalk and start up my dream of a writing camp. <laughs> slash uh, bespoke escape rooms. Yes. Slash bespoke escape rooms. <laughs> um, okay. Problem solved. Again, business idea, basically. Every right, episode right. is a good business idea. So that's all. Um, but man, was it a lot. And I just that is love amazing. it. Love it, love it. I'm so surprised yep. I didn't know that. Like, I feel like someone has failed at some point in my life for me to not know that. Should we go to pop culture? Pop culture. Um, so I actually struggled to find a pop culture thing this week, which is weird because like that's usually me the easiest. Too. Yeah, me too. Well, no, I always have trouble with pop culture, I think, for some reason. But well, I, I even too. like went to like the entertainment section of Google News and to the pop culture section of NPR. And I was like, none of this is very interesting. So I feel like maybe pop culture. Well, actually, I did not even mean for this lead in to accurately reflect what I'm about to tell you, but it did. Um, so I'll just pretend that I did. Absolutely. I planned all of that. It's very smooth transition into this article from The Hill that's titled uh, The Top Streamed Shows Are Almost All Old. Why? Um, this is just an article. It's from The Hill. It was published today. Um, and it is from the Nielsen ratings. And it says that the top, the top 10 streamed shows are, do you want to guess any of them that you think are on there? Uh, well, I would say... Friends, but Friends, Friends they is number took eight. That off. Oh, okay. Because they took it off Netflix, so I don't know where we're streaming it. Um, I'm gonna say these are of 2023, so of the previous 2023. Year. Gossip Girl. Um, a different G Girls is on there, but not Gossip Girl. Gilmore, Gilmore Girls Gilmore is number Girls seven. Is evergreen Gilmore yeah. Girls. Um, no, I won't waste our time, but I'm going to do a lot of, oh, I should have known that. So All tell right. me. I'm from, from 10 up. Number 10 is Supernatural. Number nine is wow, Heartland. that surprises me. Yeah. I don't even know what Heartland is, but it is number nine. That I don't know. Number eight is Friends. Yeah. Number seven is Gilmore Girls. Number six is The Big Bang Theory. Number yeah. five is Bless Your Hearts, Parents Everywhere, Coco Melon. Number four. I've Coco Melon has never made it into my household and it wasn't like because I intentionally kept it out uh it's just I never 
exposed them to it and i don't think they ever found it on their own because i it is it is this stuff of nightmares um, yeah i've heard four is, i've heard bad things yeah what about bluey or is that too late and your kids are too old for it okay we're gonna get okay it's coming, it's coming. number four is gray's anatomy number three is ncis number two mm. is bluey number two bluey everyone i care deeply about because that is set in queensland or in brisbane where i currently live Louie lives in a Queenslander house, just like I do. And I like that um, when I live in Australia, before I lived in Sydney and I could tell my niece and nephew and kids in my life, I live where Nemo lives. And now I can tell them I live where Bluey lives. Well, and I think that Bluey does so well because there's a large following of adults without children who are watching Bluey. And then there are my dad, a large following my of father, children. My father last week was like, you should be watching Bluey. I'm it's, like, okay. it's really good. Like it is um very thoughtful and emotional and deep people are saying it's like healing their inner child like yeah good for Aww. bluey um and then number one is suits so of those <laughs> i have been hearing a lot about suits that has to be because of Meghan markle right i don't i mean but just now like for 2023 True. like the Meghan markle stuff has kind of come and gone right um, I do think that it recently came to Netflix, though. So I think that maybe that the exposure, yeah. yeah. Um, so maybe the combination of like having heard about it because of Meghan Markle and then it was available to watch. So of these, Suits was in 20, started in 2011. Bluey and Coco Melon both started in 2018. But everything else was in the, you know, aughts or Friends was in the 90s. So most of the shows premiered 15 to 20 years ago and um are still the most streamed uh when you get into like the the original streaming shows because obviously being an original streaming show is more recent so some of those like ted lasso was number one um but they don't have anywhere near the viewers of of the the top show so the this article is just kind of looking at why and some of it is just that um a lot of these older shows have tons more episodes. Like a lot of new series get canceled. Uh, they have shorter seasons. Yeah. And they have shorter runs. And so there's just less of it. Um, there's also the discussion of like the writer strike halted some stuff last year. So maybe these older yeah. shows had a moment because there just wasn't as much new stuff coming out. Um, but also they say that people just get kind of comp like there's a they call it here a persistent nostalgia factor and the new york times recently described gilmore girls as an endless buffet of tv comfort food but there has been research that suggests that people um especially in times of anxiety <clears throat> want to watch something where they already kind of know what's going to happen because it takes some of the yeah. like just stress out of watching it like you you, you know if you watch so th this quote here from a psychologist named Sabrina Romanoff says, watching something comforting can take away the stress involved in the infinite choices at our disposal and the consequential energy drain, which is funny because I mean, I feel like Gil Gilmore Girls and Bluey are obviously comforting shows, but like NCIS and Grey's Anatomy. But it's just, and suits. but it's right. The, the, I think with binging television, that kind of like arc of every episode can be self-contained <clears throat> and it has a middle and a, a beginning, a middle, and end, and there will be a conclusion at the end of it. We don't have to wait until season two. There's just something nice about that, and you know the beats it's going to hit. It's, like, not even about... It's just pre-prestige television in a way, right? 
yeah. like network television. Yes. Like I, episodic network television. I recently rewatched um, both Buffy and Veronica Mars. And it was just like, I don't want to have to think about what to watch. I don't want to have to like get invested in meeting new characters. And like, I don't know how long I'll be able to watch it. I don't know how many, like, I, I don't know if I'll have to stop mid episode. I don't want to feel like there's any suspense. I already know what happens to all of these characters. It is just... Like, yeah, like, I mean, these are both shows about, like, murders and terrible actions. But yeah. it's so comforting because it's I know comforting. who's going to get murdered. Like, yeah. just... <laughs> um, No, absolutely. And, I mean, also the issue you have where if, if anyone recommends a show to you, you're like, is it finished? Are all the episodes done? Do you yeah. know where it's going? Yeah. Because I don't trust it. And, of course, for a while now, there's just been extreme overwhelm and exhaustion with keeping up you can't keep up with all of it no. anymore and so you just stop down entirely i guess the writer's strike could have been kind of a pause and a time to let people just stop keeping up with all of it what a world we live in it's just too hard to watch all that tv there's so much tv for me to so watch it's actually Pre -connection, I watched, that line Pre -connection. you know actually too there's a show called um okay the show is called obliterated and it's on netflix I know that one. and i really I have not heard much about it and except for this person saying it's like the room and it, again it is not but I started watching it and the energy it had and the vibe just put me back in like early aughts it went so hard and it was just doing things I haven't really seen anything do and I don't know if I liked it but I definitely loved it um it it, it just if you have like a weekend where you're doing nothing go watch the first few episodes of obliterated it just especially if you're a millennial and an older millennial and me go watch the movie smoking aces which is just a weird guy retreat ripoff that's very weird to watch it starts like alicia keys and i remember Ryan smoking Reynolds, aces have you ever seen smoking aces yeah i have was that was the same era retreat. as a uh, lucky number Sliven. those those movies are associated yes. in my head yeah yeah yes so I think there is something about and and also sorry you got me going on TV. Um, I just watched in no small part because it takes place in Sydney and I used to live in Sydney and I wanted to see it. But there's the movie Anyone But You. Have you seen that or heard about it? Seems very familiar. It's a rom com and it's out in theaters right now, starring Sydney Sweeney and someone else. And it is such a throwback, like aughts, early aughts rom com to like how to lose a guy in 10 days and things like that but like also the the like a raunchy like just old school rom-com and apparently it's doing amazing at the box office and they're saying oh like gen z and younger people are just hungry for traditional rom-coms i mean i but they see why because like rom-coms have gotten weird like they're just trying to do way too much i'm like that's not what we come to a rom-com for like this is this is an easy tap into just like straight to the vein kind of like you don't need to do all this. We we have a very easy formula. Just hijack yeah. our brains and make us feel like that's, you know, yeah. um, I think somebody there must have been something somebody somewhere with like Hallmark movies are so popular and it's because we just want that quick little hit of romance or whatever. Yeah. But it was a weird it was weird to watch and I can't say it's good and I don't recommend it. 
But I mean, are there any? I'm trying to think if there are any rom coms that I'm like, yeah. I just watched. Ironically, I was almost going to talk about this as my pop culture thing because I was so bereft of pop culture things. Um, I just watched 27 Dresses, uh, which I had never seen before with um, Catherine Heigl and I think it's J James Mars Marsden Marsden. Um, yes, and so I had never watched that. I'm not a huge Catherine Heigl fan, ironically, because um, she annoyed me on Grey's Anatomy, and I had to break up with Grey's Anatomy because I got like I was like you are manipulating my emotions and this show is ridiculous and I'm not giving you any more of my time. Um, but so I never watched 27 dresses. I don't know. I watch like rom-coms are just really nice palette cleansers when you're like, I want something entertaining without much thought to it, where I'm going to like feel a little bit of suspense and a little bit of what's going to happen, but there's never any high stakes. And it's just, you know, it's yeah. just nice. Right. And yeah. I was in the mood for that. And I was on Facebook and they're like all the little reels on Facebook. There's a, there's a trend of just showing like clips of a movie without saying what the movie is. And then in the comments, people are like, what movie is this? Who are these people? And there was a, there was a scene from 27 dresses on it. And I was like, ah, I have that. I'll watch it. And so, um, and it was, you know, it was cute and entertaining. It was not good in any way. But I'm trying to think of like, are there any rom-coms that I'm like, yes, you should watch that. Other than just like, hey, it is a rom-com. It does rom-com things. I liked um, Always Be My Maybe. That was cute. Like, I think I would like that was actually cute. recommend that. Was, that. that was good. But you know what I'm thinking of too? This goes with so much I've been consuming. Have you heard, I cannot believe she got an Emmy nomination for this. Jennifer Lawrence got nominated for... No, a Golden Globe, not an Emmy. A Golden Globe for the... Have you heard the plot of No Hard Feelings? I watched it and I was so what the fuck? uncomfortable the it entire was terrible. time. So like, no, because I read the plot and I was like, I'm not watching that. And then I read all this commentary of like, it's not what you think. It's not what you think. And I'm like, okay, so it's going to like subvert this. It's going to do something with it. Right. And then like, no, that's what I thought. Like, It was exactly what I thought. And it was terrible. It the was premise not is basically that... She gets paid to take the virginity of someone much younger than her. Much younger, like a 19-year-old when she's, what, like 32 or something? 30, 30, yeah, 30, 30, yeah. And made my husband and I watch one of a rom-com I genuinely do like, and it did hold up, Failure to Launch, because they are the same movie, yes. except one is a huge problem and one is not. Yes, well, it's because it's the idea one of is not a woman a being predatory, not a age child, gap. right? With right, yeah, yeah, right. They find a way. Like, there's a way. If you want to have a movie about a woman dating a man for money, they you can do it wonderfully, and they did. Like, I genuinely laughed a few times. I gotta admit, I, I'm embarrassed. I remember to admit enjoying it. failure, failure to launch. Like, it holds up. Yeah. Go watch it again yeah. if you need to just zone out. It was well, lovely. I, 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 I will, because like. Um, uh, the no, the no hard feelings was not it. And <laughs> I like Jennifer Lawrence, um, yeah. generally, but that movie, I, it made me very uncomfortable. And because of all the commentary that I had seen from people I respect being like, oh, it's not what you think. I was like, okay, well, it's gonna, it's gonna, there's, it's gonna turn at some point. I'm like, oh, it did not. It did not turn. Did like not, it just is. Not. It just went over that cliff into yeah. the ocean. And then yeah. it, then it had a naked fight scene in the ocean. Yeah. What was that? There's a it scene was... where Jennifer Lawrence just fights a bunch of children naked. And, and she like, didn't she didn't use a body double. That is I know the trivia is like she yeah. did all her own naked fighting. I'm like, great. 
Yay. Golden Globe. So yeah, well, there's something maybe there. we've just gotten old, but we also have the most subscriptions. So we're just rewatching TV shows that don't involve. <gasps> maybe. I think there's something about all the youths going to see yeah. anyone but you, but yeah. I don't know. Um, yeah. I definitely am leaning. Yeah. If you, I would definitely recommend if you want to go get that hit of nostalgia, go watch Failure to Launch and then the show Obliterated. And that will. Don't forget to listen to our upcoming live discussion of Follow That Bird. Yeah. We got to organize that. We have to organize that. Absolutely. Um, And yeah. And just in case anyone's on the fence about Obliterated, it, the show, it's a television show and it does like, it really, goes downhill it loses energy but the first few episodes i was just like screaming i was like yeah just got me stupidly pumped up and overly emotional it's just very loud and very violent and very i don't know okay okay i have pop culture to do don't i we just just got so into our pop culture we're just like just like so much pop culture maybe i had brought that to the table um (laughs) Also, everyone can go read Avant Garden Kitsch by Clement Greenberg because that explains all of this comfort watching, I think, really well. Oh. And I love that essay. Um, or I just use it to defend the fact that I watch YouTube all day. I don't know. So I also had trouble with pop culture. I don't know what I'm going to say about this. I don't know. But Maybe you don't have to say anything. Maybe you just bring it to us. It. I am because speak just i don't know what it, the whole time i was watching this i'm like what what is happening what is this if Catherine is saying a, what what is happening yeah. you're in trouble because <laughs> i i am very you know, curious I, I find mass singers slow and boring these days um have you heard of jennifer lopez what she's doing right now with the this is me now project? i only saw a headline that said jennifer lopez can't stop telling us about herself why won't we stop listening and i did not click beyond that so <laughs> yeah um so jennifer lopez has a project she released an album called this is me now and then she released what i thought was a movie called this is me now and then apparently later this month there's going to be a documentary about her falling in love with ben affleck in the make of this is me now the movie but i and so i watched it and i can't tell you what it is i i don't know so for 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 a hot second i thought it was just going to be a movie but it's 60 minutes long it's not really a movie um all the closest i can get is that she was watching lemonade and Moulin Rouge and there's a Netflix show an Italian Netflix show called like the dating guide to astrology and maybe I don't know like Booba the wild PBS show Booba she just has all those things on at once and then she gets electrocuted that's what I think happened and she's like I'm gonna make something with like 20 million dollars it's 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 an hour-long music video the only thing I can think is that she like wanted to make her version of lemonade which I guess it is. It's not comparable to Lemonade. It's not good. Um, and my, I'll, I'll tell you some examples. It is basically a lot of music videos in a row with a loose plot. 
And the the plot of it is her finding her way back to Ben Affleck and how wonderful their love story is. I think somebody, it just screams to me like, is would somebody not in love make this? And it's just, it's, it's trying too hard. I don't think she's happy with Ben Affleck. I think she knows that when she married him a second time, she could not go back. All of her friends were like, don't do this. Don't marry him again. You aren't good together. And she's like, nope, this is it. And she's not happy, but she knows she can't walk this back. And so she's made this to just convince us all. Halfway through, I went, fine, fine, JLo. You love Ben Affleck. Leave me alone. I can't. <laughs> she has cast Ben Affleck as a right-wing Fox News anchor in this movie. That's what Ben Affleck plays in this. But there is an actor playing Ben Affleck. What? There is a whole panel of celebrities embodying Zodiac signs. And it's hilarious because none of them were in the same room with each other when they recorded. It's like Kiki Palmer and Jane Fonda, Neil deGrasse Tyson. Um, it's probably worth watching for that because it's so weird. Anyway, she also, Tyson? Neil deGrasse Tyson is Taurus. Why? Um, <laughs> So yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I think that's, I think all the celebrities are their signs. Like Kiki Palmer is Scorpio. Um, yeah, so, but she doesn't have Aquarius. For some reason, she forgot about Aquarius. So sorry to Aquarius. I don't know why. Anyway, so some examples is, um, it starts off, I think, with her, this kind of neo-futurist, factory and she's working at the factory and everyone's dancing and i think it's a love factory that runs on rose petals but then there's Wait. a heart malfunction it's so and it, it, is, it is a factory that creates love i it might just be her heart okay the metaphor okay. was so obvious as to not be a metaphor that i could understand <laughs> So there are things like heart malfunction and they're dancing and uh, Jennifer Lopez has to go to the malfunctioning. It's a, it's a steampunk giant heart and she has to go put a rose petal in it. Um, and then it explodes. And I think that's her heartbreak. So there's stuff like that. She goes to like a relationship addict help group. And then there's a, you know, emotional, interpretive new age dance with everyone at the self-help group it's oh no i think everyone should watch it actually i think everyone should watch it maybe uh if, if you're an adult where it's legal eat a gummy and watch this <laughs> i'm not going to talk about it much i can't talk about it much but there's it's just the whole time i was like what what i will say i think box it has a 78 percent score on rotten tomatoes and i cannot understand why the well, whole gummies time are legal like, in a lot of places yeah, I was cackling through it and just was like, um, Vox, the website Vox says, the bonkers star-studded musical biopic Fantasia mess proves Jennifer Lopez can do whatever she wants. And I think that's accurate. Um, that's how I would describe this. I will end on, maybe there's something to astrology. I love astrology. They say, they say that um, the more tied to astrology you are, the less in control of your own life you feel. So that tracks. And um, my husband is a Leo. And Jennifer Lopez is a Leo. And 
sometimes there's a lot of water in this chart and I forget that's to me. I it was an illegible mess. I look at him and he's like really moved and he's into it. And he's like, I feel so seen. And I'm like, <laughs> what? <laughs> what? So JLo is a Leo. I think there's something. He's like, no, this makes sense because as a Leo, at least I can say. You want everyone to look at you and love you. And yet, you know, no one ever will or can like that's fighting all the time. Like you're like, everyone loves me. No one loves me. Look at me. Don't look at me. And yeah. um, Yeah. So he got a little teared up at the end even. So I think if you have a Leo in your life, watch it with them. And uh, and a gummy. Gummy and a Leo are the way to view when, this is me now. When, when do you need to be born? See, obviously, I know a lot about astrology. I don't even know when it Leo's is, birthdays are. I know your whole family's sun and moon signs. <laughs> and rising signs. It's a little creepy. But I will say it also, I never, it helps me remember birthdays. I at least know like the eight week period that anyone's birthday is in. Leo is July like late July through August. Okay. Okay. So if you have anyone born in very late July through August, there you go. All right. Well, that is a, that sounds like a journey. It, it was, it's not a journey we'll ever go on again, but it's not a journey I was upset I took. Those are the best kind, you know, just like, just yeah. confuse the guy. I did. So yeah, let's do research. All right. In the vein of this, this is more, and I think we've, we've, we've set a precedent for this being acceptable. This is more research I wish somebody would do than research that I can myself do because, well, one, this isn't my field and two, um, I don't have the time to conduct the sociological research it would require but i these i'm going to tell you about some disparate things that i see connections with and that i wish somebody who had more funding time and training would then do something official with that is that is how we're gonna approach i this love this particular i'm ready. research thing all right have you heard about the atlantic article have you heard about the atlantic do you know have you heard of this magazine the ocean not a fan. No, I do. I prefer the Atlantic to the Pacific. No, I, yeah. The Atlantic is like uh, basically trolls, liberals to make them angry. It is like a left-leaning publication, but then it publishes things that make left-leaning people angry. Yes, That's what does. I know about it. But I meant, have you heard about this Atlantic article, Why Americans Suddenly Stopped Hanging Out by Derek Thompson? <gasps> I heard about the controversy around it. Okay. Not the Ooh. article. Ooh. Okay. So my husband, I was like, oh, I think I'm gonna do this. Why Americans suddenly stop? He's like, yeah, yeah, the one by Derek Thompson. I'm like, how do you oh, did you read it? No, I didn't read it, but every podcast I listen to that he's been on it. So wait, what's the controversy? Hold on. The controversy is. And let me find her name because I don't want her to yell at me like she yelled at Derek Thompson. So Sheila Liming or Liming, I'm not sure how to pronounce her name. Sheila Liming is an author who wrote a book on the topic and which was kind of around the same subject of like why Americans no longer hang out post COVID and before kind of to promote the book, put something out in the Atlantic on the same topic. And 
when his article came out, she highlighted in his article hanging out and said, like, he has plagiarized me. Sheila Lyman kind of ended up getting dragged because the way she responded was that it made her sound like she thought she had invented the phrase hanging out. And that's what was being plagiarized, hanging out the phrase. Now, he published this in the same publication that she had been publishing on a very similar topic, and he didn't cite her work. And that's not good, especially when it's right there. Um, and he later did say, hey, I didn't see this. I went back and read it. It's really good. Thank you. So that's, you know, should he have read it? Probably. Should he have cited it? Probably. Did she invent the concept of hanging out? No. Is she looking really bad on the internet? Yes. And I don't know why it's captured the imagination of so many people, but like a lot of people are talking about it. It's a lot of podcasts that I've been listening to. So it's not that interesting, interesting but that's it. Well, you said it's not that interesting. I said interesting. It's like, I, mean, <laughs> I think it's interesting. I think it's interesting because it seems the entire spat seems like an example of what, I mean, I have not read her article because I didn't know it existed, but of what they're both talking about. So I feel like <laughs> are, it's a, it's a long game and they're, they're going to co-author a book. That's right, coming out. Right. <laughs> and now we're hanging out. All right. Um, well, if anyone does not know what we're talking about, let me back you up a little bit. So there is an article in the Atlantic by Derek Thompson that was published on Valentine's Day, aw, uh, aw. called Why Americans Suddenly Stopped Hanging Out. It is primarily based out of the, um, what is the name of this survey? Let me make sure that I get it right. There's there's this big survey that comes out that is like the time, oh, the American Time Use Survey. So it is an annual government poll about how people in the United States spend their time. And so, um, and this has been used for decades to kind of track like, you know, things like work-life balance or um, who is in the workforce and, you know, how much homework kids have and how, how much TV we're watching and all kinds of trends, right? And so, um this author dug into that, Thompson dug into that data and was looking at just how much um, we've stopped hanging out with each other, right? And this is, he's using uh, sociologist Robert Putnam's famous book, Bowling Alone, which came out in the 1990s yeah. and was this, this very big book in sociology that said that we were losing the kinds of activities that that people would go and do together like bowling leagues was one of his examples or like the Elks Lodge or you know like these sort of social institutions that brought people together but it wasn't necessarily work related um church could certainly be one of them which has been in a decline but Putnam was specifically looking at like other kinds of social activities that you know like the bake sales or what you know like things that were bringing people together yeah. in a in a community and he was saying then that those things were in decline and so here thompson says if putnam felt the first raindrops of an anti-social revolution in america the downpour is fully here and we're all getting washed away in the flood so this is specifically looking at the hours that people have spent face to face from 2003 which was the year that i graduated high school until 2022 uh, American men reduced their average hours of face-to-face -face socializing by about 30%, which is a huge, huge yeah. decrease. Um, unmarried Americans, 
it's been decreased to 35% and teenagers has been decreased by 45%. Wow. Um, and so there's all these like, you know, theories about why is this, especially Maybe. for teenagers. That's why they're uh, demolishing snowmen. They just aren't socialized right? enough. They're, they're just like, I can't stand to see this happy illustration of humanity. Down it comes. Although they were, there were two of them hanging out together. So fair, fair. <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe one of them knocked the snowman down before the other one came and maybe they but you know what let's let's turn this around and then they bonded the one was like don't do that oh i'm sorry you want to be best friends yes let's go take some selfies so, so, so the destruction of your son's childhood joy brought, these, brought, brought these two friends together, together. <laughs> i'm gonna believe yeah. that i like that <laughs> so um, so then there's like, you know, all these theories of like, well, teens are overscheduled. They're all doing a bunch of extracurricular activities. And they're like, nah, that's not really, that doesn't really hold out when you look at the data over different groups. Um, they're like, oh, they have too much homework. And they're like, actually, homework has and declined. Extracurriculars, you would hang out. You would hang right? out. That would be yeah. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. And so, I mean, they kind of just come to the conclusion that teens especially have more leisure time than previous teens because they're not working as much. They don't have as much homework as teens within like the last, like homework has been on a decline in at least the last like decade because there's been so many articles about how, you know, right. useless busy work is and all of that. Um, And, you know, that we have really a few states notwithstanding um, started to like, you know, stop using teen labor as a major source of the workforce and so yeah. teens have more leisure time, but they're just, they're not spending it together. They're opting to spend it um, on screens. Now, you could argue, like, you know, are screens a kind of togetherness, especially if they're doing things like FaceTime or, um, you know, I know my my daughter actually, well, it probably just ended, but they, there's a Minecraft Monday that her homeschool co-op does, and they all just get on Minecraft in the same world. And I was get... going to say, there's like a really heartwarming memory I have when we were all on vacation once one of her friend's birthdays and she spent a ton of time like making them a present on Minecraft, making a cake. And then they all got together and celebrated the birthday. Yeah. And I like, I don't want to dismiss that as social yeah. or positive or legitimate friendship, especially for those kids who started to get some of that social independence during the pandemic when they were in lockdown. Like yeah. those, I think it would be insulting and disrespectful of us to not act as if that is real and meaningful because I do think that it is. Um, but we, and, and you know, it kind of says here like, well, so what? If people want to spend time alone, like solitude doesn't mean loneliness, except that if you look at the statistics, it does seem that there's a correlation, right? It doesn't yeah. necessarily, we don't know what's causing what necessarily, but especially with teens, that there is way more depression, way more suicidal ideation. Um, I also wonder, just from my own experiences, if we also put the language of those sorts of feelings and the lack of repression of them front and center, where I feel like if you're looking at self-reporting from teens, that we have made it a lot more acceptable to talk about mental health. Yeah. So I do wonder how much of that rise, like just from survey data, it comes from people being willing to talk about it, which is obviously yeah. a positive thing. So I don't yes. know, that's kind of complicated too. But I think that it's safe to say that teens' mental health is not in a great state collectively. 
and they also aren't spending a lot of time together and those two things seem to be linked in some way now maybe you know if one's causing the other it's a little bit of a question of which would be which um but we're also just like that it's 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 going to adults too and we're just not like and they're like well maybe we're too busy but everything that they put forward in this article he kind of looks at like it doesn't seem to be the data um, and so he says here that kind of picking apart all of these different theories about it, he is using the metaphor of public health experts talking about um, diet and like the evolutionary habits of humans and how, you know, like eating a ton of sugar would have been evolutionarily benefici beneficial if you were in an environment that, you know, we became humans in, but in our current world, that's not, it's not good. Um, and yeah. so like li linking things like, you know, heart disease and obesity and other health things that are related to diet to being like, yeah, well, our evolution tells us to do this, but it wasn't, it wasn't built for the world that we're in. So he said you could apply a similar framework to the deterioration of America's social fitness. We came into this world craving the presence of others, but a few modern trends, a sprawling built environment, the decline of church social mobility that moves people away from friends and family spread us out as adults in a way that invites disconnection. Meanwhile, as an evolutionary hangover from a more dangerous world, we are exquisitely engineered to pay attention to spectacle and catastrophe, but screens have replaced a chunk of our physical world experience with a digital that has had a digital environment that has enough spectacle and catastrophe to capture hours of our greedy attention. These devices so absorb us that it's very difficult to engage with them and be present with other people. And so like, that makes a lot of sense to me that your brains are primed to pay attention to catastrophe, to yeah. pay attention to spectacle, because if you are in a face-to-face -face environment and there's a catastrophe and you're not paying attention to it, you are going to get killed or hurt, Right. Um, right. but if the catastrophe, I mean, you can get as much catastrophe as you want, just like you could get as much sugar as you want, right? Like you, it's always available. It is constant. Um, and it just makes me think about, so my husband and I, again, we're talking about this article cause he was like, Oh, what are you going to talk about on the podcast? And so, um, he was talking about how he likes to go for a walk at work. Um, and like separate from his workout, just like, you know, he'll just get out and go for a walk and like see people in the neighborhood. He's like, cause sometimes I just need to like, remember that there's like a world that's functioning around me. Right. Cause it can just yeah. get so catastrophic feeling if you're just looking at the news or, you know, he's works in a field that can be pretty depressing. And he's like, you know, but just like, he's like, I don't even have to talk to anybody. I don't have to know these people, but to see people out like walking their dogs and to see people out playing with their kids or talking to their neighbors, like it just sort of reminds you that like, oh yeah, there's a functional world going on. Like this is, this is good. Um, yeah. And so that made me think about research I had read into third places. And so the third place, have you heard this concept? No. So the, the term comes from the 1989 book, The Great Good Place by Ray Oldenburg, who's another sociologist. And so um, a, the, your first place is your home, your second place is work or school, and the third place is somewhere else, right? And you could have multiple third places in mm -hmm. your life, but it might be like church or a bookstore or a coffee shop or a park. In this particular article, which comes from today, um, they, they give the example of like, there's often third places in TV shows, like the bar and cheers or, um, what's the coffee shop in friends perk central something. perk central perk. Yeah. 
um, or, you know, Luke's and Gilmore Girls, like this yeah. idea that there's like this public space where the characters are constantly in interaction, right? And so um, this idea that that you need a third place for social contact, but that social contact does not always have to be direct. Indirect Ooh, social contact yeah. contact is really good for you, according to a lot of studies. So just like being in a coffee shop and like hearing the white noise of people around you and like seeing your neighbors, like it's it's good for your well-being. And I mean, how much is stuff like lo-fi beats and those videos on YouTube just of coffee sounds? Like we're trying to replicate that, but it's not just white noise. It's the sociality. I mean, I'm thinking about like when I've been, I've been assessing my life and what makes me happy a lot these, this year for various reasons. And uh, the happiest I've been, at least situationally where I live is when I have within very close walking distance, like a public park that a lot of people are in and a coffee shop. That's like my coffee shop that I go to. And I, you never talk to people there, but you, there are other regulars that you're like, oh, here this person is and here this person is. And it's just the best. And like, I don't really have that where I am right now. Nothing's really close enough. And it's kind of just a different form of city. And gosh, I miss it. And I never thought about it that way. Well, and it literally mentions like being somewhere where there are regulars as part of it being in a third space. And they don't even have to be your regulars. You know, like you don't even have to interact with them. Just that you, right. you see them and you're like, it, it, I mean, I think it's just like, and I'm probably, I'm, I'm out of my depth and out of my field. I, you can, as someone who knows more about this can call me on my BS. <laughs> that's fine. But it feels to me like that's a marker of stability, right? Like, oh, yeah. there's that guy. There's, there's red, like, you know, like there's red scarf guy. He's coming again. Oh, he's bringing the books back. How cute. Right. Like, I mean, right. just to feel that like the world is continues to happen, even if there is like this sense of pressing catastrophe and, um, I think seeing and these other people around you on a regular basis gives you a sense of like, it's, it's okay. Like we're going to be okay. It uh, makes it a manageable, it makes your words, sim- the world simultaneously bigger and smaller, right? That like, yes. like your husband says, I have to know there's like a bigger world beyond this, but then it is small because it's these people that you, like, these are the people in your neighborhood. It's yeah. the neighborhood level. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think it's it's really interesting that you said that like you like when you're you have like a park you can walk to and a coffee shop that's yours because they also mentioned in here in this article that like your your third space if you're trying to find one should be someplace you can get to easily by walking or by public transit like it shouldn't be like a trip it should it should be part of the fabric of your regular routine yeah. um, and so ultimately. Um, I thought it was really interesting because this talking about third space went really well with the end of um thompson's article because he says he said america is suffering a kind of ritual recession with fewer community-based routines and more entertainment for and empowerment of individuals and the aloneness that they choose which goes back to when i was talking about um the 10 10, weeks sorry 10,000 hours from malcolm gladwell got in my head and messed me up the 4,000 weeks by we oliver 10,000 weeks right from Oliver Berkman and the idea that um, being inconvenienced is like the inconvenience makes your life richer, right? So that like schedules and time and experiencing things with other people is not productive in the sense that it's going to make you, you know, get through things the fastest. And you know, like in no way is going to the coffee shop more productive in the like just 
getting up, getting out of bed, going straight to my desk and sitting down and working, right? Like gathering all my things, taking it to the coffee shop, ordering a drink, finding a table, sitting down, that all takes more time. But like, it makes me, it, it can make you a better person and citizen. And like right. the, the, the texture, the texture and the layers and the depth of it is meaningful. And if we just kind of keep collapsing out, cause yeah, like rituals take up time. And don't really do anything productive if all you're looking at is the means to the end, right? Yeah. But that's not what they're for. And so this that's collapsing not what life is for right? the means the end, the end is death, period. Right. We're looking for a means to an end. Don't need to is speed death. it up. Right. We're looking at life as linear. Is this death? We already know how it, how it goes. This is so transformative for me, what you're saying, because I I say this phrase a lot and I've say it to myself, I say it to others, I can't do work at home. I'm bad at working at home. And that's just like a story I have about myself. But what it is is that I do better work and I'm happier when I'm going to these coffee shops and I'm going out to the world to like do my work. And I think, you know, this makes me feel really differently about it. And it makes me think oh it's not that I'm bad at something it's just that this is a valuable thing in life that I yeah. should be taking advantage of yeah I'm seeking out these indirect connections these pillars of you know understanding the world around me and empathy and ritual I mean I think there's a lot of ritual yeah. involved in those spaces and and that 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 phrase of America is suffering a kind of ritual recession is really interesting to me because I am not a very ritualistic person, but I do think that they serve an important purpose and that a lot of the things that I struggle with are things that other people use rituals well to help them through. And I wish I could find rituals yeah. that resonated with me more fully. Um, and so I think that, yeah, it just, it just, that phrase in particular rang really true to me as something that, um, I myself experience and have seen people around me experiencing. So there, that's my research. Somebody go do something with that. Oh, oh, wait, I actually have two more things to say about it. Sorry. Um, no, I love this. I, there is, I'm or not going to say, say story. Sorry. What is this podcast for? This is for us to talk to each this other. This is what it's for. This there is for. a business that opened up in my area um, that calls itself a third space. Um, and it is a, I, it is a house, like it's a physical house that you can become a member of. And it's specifically designed to help uh, women, particularly mothers, like they can bring their kids there. And the idea is that you could do have it like a co-working space and there's a place for kids to play. Um, but you, but it's like a, a monthly or weekly membership plan. And I, I think it's really interesting because they're using a lot of this language about like loneliness and about, you know, how important it is to come together. They use the literal phrase, your third space in their marketing. Um, and I'm not knocking this idea. I think that they, they are seeing a need and trying to fill it. And it looks like from what I've heard, like, you know, it's working for some people, but I was just thinking about how much if I was paying a monthly membership. Like, because the, the point of the third space is that it's not a productive space, right? Like that you're not right. going there with productivity in mind, but I would never be able to divorce those things, right? Like if I was paying like a membership fee, I would be like, I have to go in there and get my money's worth. I have to go in there and make this worth it. I have to justify this expense that I am causing, you know, my family or whatever. And um, 
I just, I do think that there are, there's a dearth of, of third spaces. I think it's absolutely identified that, that problem. Um, and I'm not tell, saying that they, I mean, it costs money to have a house and it costs money to have the internet and the food and the coffee bar and the, you know, like, so I'm not saying that they shouldn't charge a monthly fee for it, but I do think that we just really don't have that many spaces that do that. And I was also one of these, the article, the today article was like, do online spaces count as third places? And they were really talking about how like people were definitely doing more meetings on zoom, especially during yeah. the pandemic, but a lot of people have kept that up. I, right now I have a friend who has started a thing called the hallway, which is just like a zoom session that she runs a few specific hours of the week. And we can all just log in and like do our work together. And we'll like maybe talk for like three minutes, right? Just like, Hey, hi, this is the work I'm doing. And then we'll keep our cameras on so we can kind of see each other in the side, but we're all just doing our own work. Like it's not, it's, it's not a collaborative session. It is just like a little bit of accountability, but also just like, Hey, there are other people in the world doing work like me. I'm not alone. Yeah. Um, and I also just participated this weekend in a speed puzzling contest. Um, because <laughs> I we have did. A, that's so cool. Yeah. I have we a friend. Talk. We didn't talk before. I have a friend um, who listens to this podcast. Hello. Uh, I have Hi. a friend who is trying to get as many um, world rankings as she can. <gasps> I remember. <laughs> I remember. Hello to you. So we are doing, we did this speed puzzling contest because oh. um, Ayla and I like to do puzzles together a lot. We don't normally speed puzzle them, but um, so we were a team of four and it was really cool. They sent, they sent her the package and it had this big label on it that was like, do not open until you're in the zoom meeting and instructed to do so. So we all had the same package and I have like a picture of, uh, let me see if I can pull the picture up, but I'm going to show it to you. It's just really cool. Of the zoom screen, just full of these desks, these tables and hands and a package with everybody waiting to get to open their puzzle at the same time. And, and so, um, we opened it up and we had our, this is our finished puzzle. We finished it. Nice. In one hour and 16 minutes for four of us, 500 piece puzzle was not, we did not do particularly well, but we did finish it before they cut you off. And that was my main goal. Um, it's like when you're in a, a marathon and there's the cart at the back, that's like, if you don't finish, if they, if they get ahead of you, you have to get in the cart and they drive you back to the, to the finish line. So you can't have to stay in front of them. Um, that was, that was the thing pace car um so yeah so and it was just I don't know like there are in-person speed puzzling events but it was and and you know it was a social event for us because we got together with people that are not in our home to like do this so it still was a togetherness thing but there were plenty of people who were competing solo um and but they were competing with other people, you know, like even though it was over yeah. Zoom. And I know that that might not be exactly the same as in person, but it has to count for something, right? Like, it, it, right. It, it has to have some kind of positive impact on your sense of the world and people coming together. And I just, I can't believe that it's nothing. I just, I mean, like, it's not nothing. I was just thinking when you're like, oh, I wish I had more rituals. I'm like, what are rituals in my life that I could only really think of like, the big ones of holidays of like we do this thing and this is what you do and this is what you eat i mean i think that's what holidays are for in a lot yeah. of ways right like holidays are for codifying those rituals across large like an entire family group or an entire community 
or an entire country, you know, like I think that that, and I think I, I get snarky about like consumerist trends, but that's what, I mean, that's essentially what like the Stanley cup craze is, or everybody wanting to go shopping for, um, you know, your Christmas to hang your Christmas lights up earlier and earlier because the store, cause you're just, you're chasing that sense of, belonging to a community ritual belonging to right because so much of that is lost through social safety nets and places and just you know walkable cities yeah like you know small cafes you can walk to that's that's a privilege a lot of yeah people don't i mean we have. were talking about like the comfort of rewatching friends or the comfort of rewatching gilmore girls and look at i mean they live in communities that just i'm not saying they don't exist anywhere but that's not what most of us live in right like most of us don't yeah. live in a neighborhood where even if you live in a small town like it it's more than just being a small town it's also a small town that's set up in a way to create connection and um shared ritual oh yeah man gilmore girls is like the yeah no wonder oh that's a great yeah. connection free yeah. connection about <laughs> Because the town is constantly doing some weird ritual, right? Like the whole show is the town coming together to be like, oh, yes, it's this annual thing again. Oh, here we are all. Like, I'm like, don't any of you have to work? No, you're just all in the square pretending to be paintings? Okay. Like the whole show is filled with third spaces, right? There's so many in that place. Oh, man. (sighs) No, what happens when the third place is just like, target to get your right. stanley cup right <sighs> not i love wandering around target as much as anyone but that cannot be our third place no we, we, we deserve better third spaces than that yeah we at least need a coffee shop i i miss it i miss it so much um yeah my favorite i i was so productive and happy when i had this little ritual of i'd on a saturday i'd go work out same workout class, same people, didn't talk to them, but they were the same people there. And then I'd go to this cafe I loved and there was a little old man who liked the exact same table I liked. And we got in an unspoken battle of who would get there earlier and get the table, but it was very good natured. And if I got there first, he would give me a nod. Like, and if he what got there first, do? I'd be like, and there's just this nice, quiet battle over the best table at the place. It's when I was talking to my husband about this, this article and this topic beforehand, he was like, it's kind of like at the gym. He's like, there's, you know, they make fun of like the, the bro level. He's like, but you know, you see somebody at the gym that comes in at the same time you do. And at first you don't interact with each other, but then like one day you give each other kind of a nod. And then eventually it's like a fist bump when they lift really good. And then it's like, Hey, can you spot me? And then, you know, like, so there's like a progression of this. You're never quite friends. You might not even like know each other's name. You don't exchange numbers, but you are sharing this space enough that you feel invested in one another's success in some way yeah thank you for this this is like my favorite research you've ever done because it really made me look at how i structure my life and what i thought was like failings of my own and be like nope i'm a human being yeah so sue me i have needs it's not my fault it's like stage capitalism <laughs> okay so my research um it's actually genuine research i've been a little busy this week in part because i'm doing research um i'm really excited i'm kind of co-writing something 
with, oh, well, here's some callbacks. Uh, when I went to the Alex Cameron concert and I loved it so much because I have a group of new friends. Um, that was with Laura, who is married to Tom. And I am co-writing along with my husband and Tom a little article for the conversation, which is like kind of fast food academic stuff where you just kind of write a quick little 600 word thing about a current topic and put it out there. And we had already been discussing writing a longer article and he's a journalist and the conversation reached out to him and said, do you want to do something about this? And he said, oh, we're working on it. So now we get to do this. So it's what I've been researching and I don't know how interesting or not interesting this is going to be, but basically I'm going to kind of like redo some of my research notes. And uh, so I'm going to tell you about the thing and then I'll read the theory research that I'm thinking through. It isn't written yet. So did you know, I think this is probably January, sometime in January, it came out that Mark Zuckerberg has like a whole ranch. He's starting to raise Wagyu beef, like very expensive. I might've talked about this. Sorry, everyone, if I've already talked about this. Um, but he put out an Instagram post that was like him with a giant piece of meat. And it said, oh, I'm on my Hawaiian island. I'm raising very expensive beef and it's sustainable and it's high quality and it's it's a whole ranching system he has in place. He is growing macadamia nuts. So he has a macadamia nut farm on the land that he feeds to the cattle. He has a brewery and then the cattle like eat the malt or the hops or something that comes out of the offshoot of making the beer. And so this struck my interest because I finished up a project on YouTube influencers where I talked in part about Jeffree Star, who is a makeup influencer and moved to Wyoming, bought up a ton of land and started a ranch and raises yaks and sells yak meat. And so I was like, huh, this has a lot of similarities in a way to like Jeffree Star's business model of ranching. And it made me start to think about some things that I will share with you now. But what do you know? How much do you know about Mark Zuckerberg and Hawaii at this point? What you just told me. Okay, cool. Good. <laughs> so basically, for quite a long time now, um, many, many years, Mark Zuckerberg has been like slowly buying up a lot of land on two Hawaiian islands and mostly on one he owns now the vast majority of this one Hawaiian island. He is not alone in this. A lot of billionaires, Oprah's doing it. Some other people are buying up Hawaiian islands. I think most of Lanai is owned by one person now. And so there's a lot of reasons. We know we've known for a while. And part of this work is that billionaires have been making bunkers, right? Kind of prepper end of the world bunkers. And there was this guy named Richard Driscoll who put out an article in which he works on prepping and he's a journalist. And he went to kind of this tech billionaire meeting about bunker prepping. And one of the questions a lot of the billionaires had was, okay, when the world ends and we're in our bunkers, how do we maintain the loyalty from our private armies or private military? And that was asked in a way like they already have the private military. That's a done deal. They, this is all planned, but they want to know, like, 
what what would keep them from rising up against us? And so that was a really important moment. Wow. And a lot of millionaire billionaires were trying to put bunkers in New Zealand. Peter Thiel tried this a while ago and um, New Zealand shut that down and said, we're not allowing this construction. But in the meantime, there's been a lot of small bunkers put into place in New Zealand and Hawaii. And so that's our starting point, that this bunker thing, in my opinion, that's not where we should be looking. That's kind of in the class distinctions between the wealthy and then the uber, uber wealthy, like Zuckerberg wealthy. Um, bunkers are like McMansions now. That's not Everybody it. has a Bun bunker. Everybody has a bunker. Bunkers <laughs> also imply a, a different and outdated relationship with disaster, I think. Bunkers are very nuclear era. Like a bomb will hit, the disaster will happen, and we will wait it out. We will wait it out, and yeah. And we will return to the world. I think now there's so much with climate catastrophe, interconnected disasters, that that's not the case. Like you could go down into that bunker and the world can be gone and you never come out. And right. if you're a billionaire, that's not how you want to live your life. The other issue is militarization, is having people rise up against you and also want to live where you live and get at your resources if there's a resource war. So what I think Mark Zuckerberg is doing and Jeffree Star and a lot of other billionaires are doing is solving for that. The new thing is totally self-sustained ecosystems that are going to bring about a new kind of feudalism, a neo-feudalism in our world. So let me back this up. Um, let me tell you more about Mark Zuckerberg's space that he has. So according to plans viewed by Wired Magazine, who recently did a huge write-up of what is happening with Mark Zuckerberg in Hawaii, he bought up a lot of parcels of land. We've known this for a while that he has a lot of land in a bunker there, but this ranch, that he has a ranch, like a, a fully functioning, raising cattle, growing plants, it's self-sustaining. It's sustainable. It can go for probably, you know, forever. Um, so the space he has, according to Wired, Wired did an article on this because he made everyone sign NDAs across the board. But one of the workers working on this died. And the family knew nothing about their death. They couldn't find anything out. They realized it was all under NDA. And so some of this is starting to come out because of workers' deaths on his project. So the partially completed compound he has consists of more than a dozen buildings with at least 30 bedrooms and 30 bathrooms. And it's centered around two mansions with a total floor area comparable to a professional football field, about 57,000 square feet, which contain multiple elevators, offices, conference rooms, industrial sized kitchens, um, nearby wooded areas, forest preserves, um, river preserves, there's guest houses, there's operations, um, operation buildings, homes for employees, um, spaces for corporate events. He's already held a couple corporate events and parties. Um, there's a 5,000 square foot underground shelter bunker that can be accessed via a ladder. And the compound is going to be, when it's completed, completely self-sufficient. Yeah, um, it's just, it's, it's not a home. It's an entire ecosystem. Yeah, it's this is not he did not go get a hobby ranch for his like no. <laughs> no, he is set up that he can work 
and live there, but also everyone that works for him can work and live there. And the main economy now is working for Mark Zuckerberg, is building um, his property, maintaining it, farming it, ranching it. So my argument in a way, and I'll read you my full thing, is that you don't need a private army. If everyone on an island, A, they're on an island, climate crisis happens, the world ends, they have nowhere to go. Also, you have a self-sustaining place full of resources. Why would they leave? That's right. a really safe places. And if it is going to be the end of the world, um, probably a Hawaiian island is pretty great to be at. It's hard for people to get in and out, but he does own the oceanfront. So, right, he can get things in and out if he needs to. He can have ships and tankers go in and out. Um, but yeah, that that you have all the workers there on your land. They will remain loyal to you because they have no other choice. That due to things like NDAs and the cost of living and lack of work, um, the line between public and private has been erased in this ecosystem. It's upsetting to me. And so here's my brief statement I wrote up along with my writing partners that it's the development of an entire self-sustaining ecosystem by some of the ultra-rich Zuckerberg in Hawaii being the most obvious, but it also includes Oprah, Larry Ellison, Jeff Bezos, etc., and how it's a shift away or evolution from bunkers. And the idea is that Zuckerberg and some of these others are buying up a bunch of land and both preserving, because a lot of the reports about Zuckerberg is that he can't be doing something bad. It can't be nefarious because a lot of the land he's buying, he's not doing anything. He's not developing it. But if you want to be there for the end of the world, you want undeveloped land, right? Right. right. You want that land. You need an ecosystem. He knows what he's doing. Um, so he's preserving it and developing it in a way that creates the entire self-sustaining economy. There's also been, I, this I cannot confirm, it feels right to me, but it's very conspiracy theory at this point, that both he and Oprah on their islands have vast desalinization technology they both have breweries and people are saying that they aren't breweries. That's how they're hiding this desalinization process to say that they will have enough, right? A brewery does seem like an odd thing to be like, right? I just need a brewery. Right? Like, but if you have a whole ocean around you and you can desalinize that water and water is going to be a very important resource in the future, that's cool. Um, and so... Also, this greenwashing of it's sustainable, but macadamia nuts are one of the most water-heavy nuts. We know cattle farming is not very right, good for the environment, right. greenhouse gases alone. Um, and so it involves right opaque employment, contracts for those who used to live and work on this land, the specifics of which are concealed by NDAs across the board. Um and then Zuckerberg is now getting the support of many of those in Hawaii because of his supposed creation of jobs, payment of taxes, funding of charities. And the quote I found says that with Mark Zuckerberg's donations, job taxes that he pays, most people view his presence as a net positive for the island. And this person, this politician, DaCosta, credit Zuckerberg for the construction jobs the compound creates that is charitable, charitable donations. And here's the quote, here's the quote that is going to drive all my research on this project. What's better, he asks, one Zuckerberg who owns 1,000 acres or 100 millionaires who each own 100 acres? 
And that that that's how we're going to get neo feudalism. And I, in some ways, he's not wrong, right? Who would you rather have move into your community, right? A hundred millionaires who are all going to have a little plot of land, all be doing their thing, or a billionaire who's going to keep it pristine and who's going to give you a ton of money for other things. And I just think that like, I mean, we the talk problem about is that those like, are the two options, right? Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's just, I want to write a book called One Billionaire or A Hundred Millionaires. And it just feels like that is where we're headed. Oh, and, um, That made me not feel good. Yeah. I'm sorry, but. Ache. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. So, I don't know. I think, I think uh, maybe you and I like to play the game of where in the world is going to be good to live in with climate disaster. And I think it's like maybe I need to go get a construction job on Mark Zuckerberg's island. island. Except we don't have any practical skills. This is this is how we get a new feudal lordship. And we should watch it. We need to watch out. I think um we have handed over way too much public resources, social safety nets to privatized um businesses or billionaires. And I think right now what we have to do, so I'm calling on everyone. Here's what we got to do. We need more third spaces, but also we need to let the Zuckerbergs of the world, like give these money to charity and create these self-sustaining ecosystems, build infrastructure back up. And we just have to find the tipping point of right before the world ends, um, before it's too late, before we don't have class consciousness, then we kill them. And we can live on it. And I don't know when that point is right, but we have to start thinking about it. We need to. I did see a meme that was like, look, if we just eat one billionaire, the rest will fall in line. So, um, yeah. You think about these systems throughout history where it's like there are more of the workers. Why don't they kill them? And I'm just seeing it happen. I feel like I'm seeing it happen. Do I want people to die? Am I calling for murder? I'm not going to verify those things. I'm just saying this. I'm just saying we need to watch out. Saying, read your history. Know your history. I don't want to be a serf. But also, with climate change happening, this might be one of the only ways to get back what we've lost through privatization and corporate personhood. So we're just going to let them each think they have an island. Yeah. That they fix everything on. Mm-hmm. And then let them get it self-sustaining, desalinate that water, get the technology. And then. So what's better than one billionaire is a hundred billionaires is what you're saying. I'm saying a hundred million <laughs> thousand errors. <laughs> yeah. A billion thousand errors. <laughs> Rise up! <laughs> Don't this, make those the only choices. Yes, this should not be the only choices. Oh my god! Well, I'm excited for this article that you have coming out. Yeah, I'm excited too, and I want to write this little book. One billionaire, a hundred millionaires. Nobody take that. That's mine. I'm That's, calling it. We give you lots of. We give you Don't, lots of business ideas. That one is not available. Me. This, we have a time stamped. This is podcast research that that one is not up for grabs. This will be good for that. So, yeah. Well, I feel like I started on such a hopeful note, like a fun, nice note with like one person can change the world with Bob Casilli and I'm ending on this. So 
Well, he did change the world by punching somebody in the face, so. Oh, so that's how we, yeah, yeah. Okay, so actually that's consistent. And let's <laughs> goes recap, pretty full circle. I think we have Truth something. <laughs> Okay, so let's recap. So my weird thing was bursting into tears over a snowman. Over. Over childhood to adult. Emotional drama on the level with little women. Um, and global warming. My weird, and global warming. Right? I mean, it is tied up in that. Yeah, there's it really not is. enough snowman. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's a big deal if someone topples yeah. a snowman because there just aren't enough of them. <sighs> Um, my weird thing was the fact that Bob Casilli punched Laszlo Toth, who tried to destroy the Pieta in the face, and with the money that the Pope awarded him for that, started his whole career in the City Museum eventually. My pop culture thing was that the top stream shows of 2023 are mostly old. My pop culture thing was whatever This Is Me Now from JLo was. My research thing was third spaces, the declining rates of social activity and our need to be among people without any specific requirements. And my research thing was Mark Zuckerberg's new cattle farming ranching endeavor and how that is a sign of the new feudalism to come. Okay. So face punching is clearly important. Face punching. Punch people. One person can change the world with enough violence and money. No. no. I, mean, I mean, that's that's true. It's a terrible fucking life lesson, but it's true. It's with not enough, what we want you guiding the every aspect of your life with for the next two weeks. With a threshold for violence and enough money, anyone can change the world. <laughs> Um, <laughs> this is where I laugh until I cry. It's happening. It's, it's happening now. It's happening right now. All right. Well, there's happen. okay. There's something in here about spaces and yeah, um, transitional claiming spaces and who gets to own a space and who gets to be in a space, right? Like, because yeah, yeah. the snowman was built on actually abandoned public land because it's a school that is no longer functional. And so everybody just kind of wanders around it now. Um, and so it's not like they came into my yard and kicked the snowman. It was in a semi-public space. Um, yeah. And so like kind of who claimed it for what? Uh, the Bob Castley story about him punching in the art, like, it's like who gets to claim that art and who's protecting right. it, right? Um, but right, that that the 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 negotiation, if we're the gonna negotiation live in a society of spaces, right? Of public spaces that if we need them, we need them as humans, but to have them open allows both good and bad in. And then our pop culture, I would say that JLo as a celebrity kind of is a public space and is negotiating how the public sees that her public persona, especially her relationship. Yeah. Her relationship There was a as... lot of discussion about that, about like, we know nothing. This, she said this was so personal and it was about her love story. It's like, we know nothing about her after this. This is just all 
So with the television shows you were saying. Oh, yeah. that We were talking about how many of them that are on that kind of comfort list offer these these very well-negotiated, comfortable spaces, right? Like the space that all the characters are sharing, even if they're characters that don't always get along, they share the space in a in a productive, kind way. Um, yeah, I think that, so it's something about yeah, negotiating. Clearly my research is about yeah. the, the loss of huge amounts of public land are being privatized. So that's, so what do we want? I mean, I think everything fits in really quite well about is is there like a a one fish two fish pun for space like first space third space why are you why are you going to fish michelle what's that the connection not fish space to space yeah yeah like first space third space (laughs) like one space two phase private space public space guillotine space for the guillotine if there isn't a space for third space then there has to be space for the guillotine (laughs) 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 so you're sitting out walkable build a guillotine (laughs) build a guillotine (sighs) i could get in trouble for this podcast i was gonna say it's getting taken down folks you never hear from us again Oh no, someone's at my door. It's the FBI. Um, so oh, okay. Um I just can't think of much that rhymes with space. Yeah. Space case place, but kind of does the same thing. So one space, two space, human race. In um, my face. Private space shared. No, I can't do it. I can't do it. I don't know it's what's fine. wrong with me. We can. We okay, can. Sorry. The... Sorry. I liked. I liked the. It. It. It, it fell apart. Animate... Yeah, it fell apart. Sorry, I failed. Um. Part of me wants to just make it really simple Sincere. and be like, like, just like, just like, what's your third? Sp- like, hey, you guys, what's your third space? Find your third space. I recently watched Mean Girls, so one of the things coming to me is like the you can sit with me. You could you could sit with us. Like the You can sit with us, just don't talk to us. You can sit near me at a different table in our shared third space. <laughs> it just it makes me mad when people like make fun of people for going and working at Starbucks. Because I'm like, that's the same thing. And in yeah. some places, Starbucks is the only third space yeah. you're gonna have access to, and there's nothing wrong with that. And, you know, it's um, a lot more affordable to buy a $6 drink than it is to buy a $40 meal or whatever. Like, yeah. Oh, my gosh. It makes me think back when you talked about, like, Panera and how, like, yes. how they would limit your time there and you had to pay to be there. And that's really sad because that's a space, right, where you well, would think you could go and hang and out and It is. So I think I told you about the how I built this with Panera and how they initially – you know, they were like, oh, we want to be a place where people come and hang out. And they're like, what are you talking about? That's not what people want fast food for. Like, they just want to take it and leave. And they're like, no, this is going to be a big thing. And then it was. And then yeah. the Panera by me shut down because they only kept Paneras open that had drive throughs because they, and this was pre-pandemic, they, they foresaw that people weren't doing that anymore, that people were 
wanted food that they could drive through and take or somebody else would pick up and deliver to them. That makes me so sad. Maybe why we don't want to do this is that everything does fit really neatly. Yeah, it does. I feel like, are we, are we sweeping, are we sweeping something under the rug? I feel like, um, my pop culture is like the one that fits least, but it totally fits about this public private. And also the fact that it came out right on Amazon prime where a lot of movies are debuting now instead of going to a theater. And that's such a different viewing. Experience. And they mentioned, they mentioned third space, the theater as a third space, like that you were sitting there with other moviegoers and that even though you never talked to them, like that is a shared experience and that that is a pro social event. Um, what do you want to say about third spaces, Michelle? I think that's it. I think that's third spaces are good. <laughs> I mean, that's the <laughs> unless you want to go back to the guillotine one, and I don't know if you want that as an official one. Yeah, I don't know if you space. should. I don't know if you should keep the kill Zuckerberg part in the final cut. I don't know. I, I kind of <laughs> use the word overthrow. Overthrow, overthrow of a cliff. <laughs> <laughs> leave it leave it to the imagination overthrow um yeah just third third space third spaces are really important you guys <laughs> third spaces are really important you guys <laughs> you open up the fortune cookie and it's that third spaces are really important hey did you know I had it as an exclamation point, but it has to be a period. Third space is a really important comma, you guys. Okay, that's it. Third that's spaces it. are really that's important, it. you guys. guys. Yeah. I'm I'm too earnest about this. This is too important in my life to joke. This is the one thing of all the topics we have ever had that I'm like, I'm not joking about this. I'm I really like not. Cafes. Like, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm thinking about. There was a really great dog park near me that my husband and I would go every Sunday. We'd get a smoothie. We would watch the dogs. You two do love watching dogs more than any people I've ever met in my life. It is just so joyful. Like, I I wish I had something that brought me that much joy that could just be available (laughs) in the world. Um, I'm currently dallying with wanting to buy a parrot. I think that's maybe a midlife crisis thing, but... You know they, like, live for... I know. Ever. I know. One of the reasons I don't ever like pets is because they're going to die on me. So if you buy one, when you're in middle age, you buy a pet that could live forever, then you don't have to worry about that. Yeah. You have to worry about other things, like what's going to happen to that pet. Yeah. Okay. But do I have to worry about that or does the bird have to worry about that? So you just, you're getting a pet to give it existential angst? This is why you forbade me my children once upon a time. You were like 11. You did go back on it. Michelle, it's I, Michelle's not the reason I don't have kids. She went back on it. She said, you're allowed to have children now. But there was a moment in time where she's like, you are not, you can't have, you can't have kids. She had to, she had like, to earn it back. Yeah, I did. Um, I did. She had. <laughs> it's a choice now, but it wasn't for a good 15 years. <laughs> Do you, do you remember why I had to go here? Because your sweet, darling, little brother, who was quite little, came into your room and said, where's mom? And I went, she's dead. And he believed me. 
And when he started to cry, I went, I'm sorry, but I'm telling, I like doubled down on it. I, he was, oh my gosh, I don't know why I did that. It's the, what age was I? How old was I? Right, was right. Snowman you were snowman knocked yeah, down yeah, on age. Yeah. It was snowman knocked down age for sure. Yeah. I feel and like so we just after I consoled my little brother, I came back in and said, Catherine, you're not allowed to have kids. Yeah. And that stood for like, that Yuri. might have been the first time Michelle ever used her mom voice in her whole life. Maybe. And I didn't even have a mom voice yet, but yeah, that's who was born. Okay, guys. There it is. She's holding it up. <sighs> okay. Um, third places are really important you guys yeah they're important go find you Why? one if you don't have one the yeah end. think about it think about it if you don't have one what can 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 what can you do to get one is there anything because i think we need to we need to do it for we just need to start doing it for ourselves carve it out goodbye and if no, nothing. Not I was going to say, if you need funding, Michelle and I can help you out um, by going and destroying the <laughs> getting the Pope to, to fund our third spaces. My Pope's going to give Michelle some money. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, bye. Bye.